The grand finale of our Amalgam series culminates with our own amalgamations. What characters have we created nearly 30 years after the fact? Find out soon as the byword starts now. Welcome to episode 166 of the Nerd Byword. We have spent the past three episodes revisiting 1996's first set of Amalgam Comics, a rare joint effort between DC and Marvel. And while we'd love to stay and peruse the 1997 slate of titles, it's high time we return to the present before we get pelted by pogs, bombarded with Beanie Babies, or submerge ourselves in Surge. Maybe next time, true believers. Instead, we have decided to give the idea of an amalgam comic book a much-needed shot in the arm to update it from the dregs of 90s nostalgia. But more on that after our weekly update in... Dave, you can't stop raving about this, so the floor is indeed yours. So uh, as of recording, um, BBC has just released a full-length cinematic trailer for the upcom- uh, upcoming Doctor Who 60th anniversary celebration, um, which I have to say has got me about as stoked as anything in a long time. Um, so what we're looking at right now is a series of three specials that are supposed to air as of my understanding right now, either sometime later this year or early next, although no official date has been announced yet. And these three specials are going to serve as a bridge into uh, the next full series of Doctor Who. Um, So what's really cool is that there's a whole lot of moving parts going on here. It is probably not... um, it's probably not out of, out of place to say that uh, the Jodie Whittaker era of Doctor Who was uh, sort of a mixed bag in a lot of ways, N- through no fault of her, uh, as I thought her performance was absolutely stellar. But there was a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. There was some dissatisfaction with some of the writing. It's been sort of an up-and-down, back-and-forth, um, and, and the fan base of Doctor Who was pretty divided. And although I found a lot to enjoy in that era, it is it is probably fair to say that quite a bit of the excitement has sort of drained in recent years out of the franchise. So now that the showrunner is moving on, the actors moving on, and it's time for sort of a reset again, um, they actually have brought back Russell T. Davies, the man who revitalized Doctor Who to begin with after several decades of absence, um, to, to kind of do his thing again. And the very first thing he decided to do is have these three specials, these three special episodes that will actually revisit David Tennant in the role of the Doctor, probably one of the most popular people in the role um, since the sort of modern Doctor Who era. Um, and he's going to pick up on sort of a, a loose thread with one of uh, the Doctor's companions, Donna Noble, whose mind was wiped. And if she ever remembers the Doctor, she, it could, you know, literally kill her. Um, and apparently they're going to re-encounter uh, each other here. Um, what's also really cool is that, you know, Russell T. Davis is not just, uh, you know, doing a greatest hits tour here. He's definitely using this opportunity and the love that uh, people have for the tenant version of the Doctor as a way to, you know, generate some hype again. But then he's launching into a, a new series uh, that will feature Shuti Gatwa 
as the new Doctor, which is a super exciting casting, I think. And uh, a lot of the stuff that we've seen coming out of that, some promo images and the like, is actually really, really exciting as well. So we're getting sort of a three special nostalgia tour and then to launch into a, a different, a new direction with the franchise. So there's a lot to be excited about as a Doctor Who fan. Um, Tennant is is easily in my top three uh, of the people that have uh, portrayed the Doctor. So seeing him sort of do a little, you know, uh, victory lap, I guess, as the character is going to be really cool. Revisiting Donna Noble as a character, I think, is going to be really cool. One of my favorite companions of the modern era. Um, and then just launching into this new direction. I think this trailer is just, it just oozes typical Russell T. Davies sort of uh, production values and and how he approaches storytelling and going big and going epic. And this, is, this just looks really like a lot of fun and hopefully will be uh, something that can sort of satisfy the fan base a little bit again and, and generate some excitement for the franchise, which has, you know, been... I guess waning a little bit excitement-wise since since the days of uh, sort of the Matt Smith era. I'd like to see that level of, of uh, you know hype and popularity to to kind of rest on Doctor Who again because it is a fantastic show. You know, for all intents and purposes, I should be like a huge Doctor Who fan. I always have like this. I have like this weird peripheral relationship with the franchise and more even more so the people involved in it. Um, I think probably the the biggest one is Peter Capaldi. Um, one of one of the all time greatest acting performances in in BBC's um, The Musketeers, uh, a, a franchise. And I don't even know if that's an intellectual property. Uh, Alexander Jamal being my favorite author of all time, and and seeing it finally faithfully well done. Uh, the Chris O'Donnell, you know. I'll do respect to Oliver Platt, Chris O'Donnell, and Kiefer Sutherland. That that was not not it. That was not the vibe. Um, there were elements to it. Any anytime Oliver Platt shows up, it's usually a good time. But that was that was not it. Um, the less said about the Logan Lerman franchise, you know, and no no disrespect to that man, but you know, a, a regrettable incarnation of the Percy Jackson uh, franchise there. And Three Musketeers, you know, Logan Lerman, uh, unfortunately, is where your your franchise goes to die. Uh, just, just, just does not do well. But I finally got good Musketeers content, and one of the principal reasons, um, you know, the entire cast is out of this world spectacular. Um, but Peter Capaldi was like the driving force behind that as Cardinal Richelieu, and and so he left. They killed him off after the first season. Um. So he could go be Doctor Who, and I, I'm still kind of, I guess, protesting that, and that's, you know, maybe a silent, unknown, unspoken factor as to why I haven't dove deep into Doctor Who. But you know, David Tennant, I, I told you, I love what he's doing uh, as Hu Yang again in Ahsoka. Um, you know, he's popped up here and there in stuff that I've seen, and always have enjoyed his work. Matt Smith, I love him in House of the Dragon. Uh, I mean, there's there's just so many, and I love what I saw of those first five or six episodes of the Chris Eccleston season. Uh, Billy Piper is a vibe. I love Rose Tyler as a POV character, like she's a baddie. Love her. It's just man, dipping your toe into that, and sometimes you come back, it's like you dip your toe in it, and it comes out as gloop and like this ooze because of the the thing that really kind of was like whoa was was those 
the aliens that were unzipping humans as their skin suits. It, it was, I, I could even look past the stretchy skin lady with the lotion, but, but man, those, oh boy, it, it was, it was pretty gross. And so I, I should, I should give it another college try, if you will, uh, especially with everything surrounding this, because as much as a fan I am of, of things like Sherlock and Musketeers and BBC content, it, it makes all the sense that I'd be interested in this. And I will say, and, and, and this is, you know, uh, a much debated um, topic, you know, like what is the perfect entry point for uh, Doctor Who? And to me, uh, you know, the perfect entry point is in the modern era, at least um, the Matt Smith, the first Matt Smith season. I think uh, you can go back and, and enjoy a lot of the earlier stuff very easily. And the tenant uh, era is fantastic as well, as far as like modern era goes. Um, and you can go back and, you know, watch the original stuff too. I mean, I have watched, <laughs> I've watched a lot of Doctor Who from all eras. Um, but I think there is something almost, um, almost like zero point. Like you, you don't almost don't need to know anything to run into the first Matt Smith uh, episode and it does a great job, like really setting up his version of the doctor and you know who the doctor is and building relationships. And I think it's a, it's just a really great entry point. Um, so if if you want to give it that try again, uh, I would say try that because I think the Matt Smith era there's something really special, especially about that first season. It's really, um, it's a really remarkable uh, piece of work. All right, Chris. So what do you have for news for us this week? Well, one of our all-time favorite titles is back. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man has returned, kind of spilling out over Jonathan Hickman's um, kind of rebirth to the Ultimate Universe and Ultimate Invasion. And Hickman himself is going to be writing Ultimate Spider-Man. Details are scarce right now, but we do that Marco Cicchetto of Daredevil fame uh, from Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil um is going to do the art in there so i mean if nothing else you know that it's going to look good so we have scarce details we're supposed to get more um you know as as time progresses i think they are looking at new york comic-con was the original solicit of, of when we get more information but everything details are incredibly scarce right now we don't even know who this spider-man is going to be is it peter is it miles is it someone else entirely and it's going to be really, really interesting too. how much leeway they're going to allow him to have um, with the Spider-Man character in this new Ultimate Universe. Because this was something you and I were just talking about yesterday that we feel strongly. Peter Parker is in captivity and his captors are Marvel's editorial. He cannot progress um, our friend Ash from X of Words calls it the Peter Pan, Peter Pan Parker. You know, he cannot progress past a certain point. And if and when he does, it immediately regresses back to, I think you said, this 70s era man child where he's emotionally stunted um, and, and he can only go so far. His relationships are limited. Um, and once they pass a certain threshold, they go back to a zero point. Um, and so it'd be really interesting if Hickman is being given free reign here to kind of do something completely different with Peter, um, if he's going to bring Miles back, um, to the ultimate universe or a different Miles or, or what's going on here. But there's just so much 
that we don't know, or if he wants to create a completely different character. So he's not handcuffed to the Peter Parker of it all, you know, um, and the, and, and the continuity. So I'm, I'm definitely Hickman is someone that I always enjoy reading. It can be daunting. Um, uh, Screen Rant made a good point in the article that I read that by comparison, um, the cinematic franchise is Spider Verse wise is is a vast just leaps and bounds better than the comics counterpart that actually inspired it. It's one of those rare things. I was I was telling a kid the other one of our students was talking about it, and I was like, it's one of those rare occasions that the product is better than the source material. The Spider Verse is a thrilling idea comics wise, but it's never really been executed well. The first Spider Verse event was okay. It was fun and it introduced some new characters, but there wasn't anything really substantive that came from that. Um, it didn't leave lean enough on on um, Moreland, who I think is a fantastic. When he was first introduced, um, you know, in the JMS run, was a fascinating new adversary. And I, I was, I was- Moreland, Moreland, if you don't mind, Moreland, if you don't mind me saying, to me, is is the one of the best examples of a character with diminishing returns because when he first showed up, he was such a great threat and so interesting and mysterious and everything. And then mm-hmm. the more they explained about him, he's basically the runt of the litter and, you know, running yes. away from people and scared now in his most recent appearances. And it's just become regrettably sort of a joke character because yes. they weren't able to maintain that sense of menace. It's, it's, it's one of the great failures, I think of modern Spider-Man comics that they were not able to, you know, piggyback on that initial appearance and keep that level of threat and menace going with him, you know? Yeah. Um, And so, like, I say all that to say this, like, I love Hickman's work in the Ultimate Universe. In fact, some of that, it's hard to pick because, like, what child do you love the most with some of this stuff? But um, I I really enjoyed his, his stuff in the Ultimate Universe. And that's kind of why punting back and reading Mark Miller stuff was like, what is this? This is not what I enjoyed about the ultimate universe. Um, so I, I'm excited to see him back in, in this playground uh, as I have been with ultimate invasion, but, but particularly with um, ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, very conflicted about this particular situation. I'm going to be honest with you, Chris, because ultimate Spider-Man, the original, you know, ultimate Spider-Man was such a hallmark moment in my life. You know, the series that, after a lapse in reading comic books, really brought me back into the fold and sort of launched me into like, you know, basically reading comic books pretty much uninterrupted ever since I, I enco- first encountered that. And I think I, I jumped on the series as of like issue seven or eight or something like that. And I just never looked back. I got the the whole collection downstairs in my basement in my in my comic book uh, room. And uh, it's, it's a very it's a very seminal series uh, on a personal level for me. Um, one of my favorite versions of Peter Parker in a lot of ways. Uh, one of my favorite versions uh, of Mary Jane. One of my favorite versions of the Green Goblin. Yes, I actually like how he transforms in this. I do too. I do too. I love it. I, I love it. I think there's something very cool about there being a physical transformation part with it. There's so many good things uh, that came out of Ultimate Spider-Man. And even when they made the decision you know, to, to kill off the Peter Parker, Parker character, which... Uh, I, I admit, you know, was not something I enjoyed <laughs> because I'm such a big fan of that version of the character. Um, I I did appreciate ultimately what, <laughs> pun intended, what came uh, out of that with with the Miles Morales character. Um, 
and and his run on Ultimate Spider-Man, at least the initial run uh, I read, the yeah yeah the 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 initial run of of his, um, I really really enjoyed as well. Um, so this this can go any number of ways. It can be Ultimate Spider-Man in name only, and it's you know a whole new character or something completely different. Um, it could be a return of Miles Morales to that, you know, universe. Although I find that difficult to believe that they would remove Miles out of the uh, out of the main universe I don't at think, this I, point. I, I think that's the least likely outcome. Yeah. Um, or we get, you know, Peter Parker back, Ultimate Peter Parker. But here, here, I think it is important. We just it's important to note that we just don't know enough about this yet to have any kind of excitement for it. When you say Ultimate Spider-Man is coming back, then the initial reaction I think from fans is, "Oh, we're getting a continuation of the story of Ultimate Peter Parker." But this might not be that. And even if it is a story of a Ultimate version of Peter Parker, it might not be the same version of what we saw before. Um, as somebody who's been reading Ultimate Invasion, I still have no idea where that thing is going, and it only has one issue left to go as of recording. Like, n- nothing that ha- that they have shown seems to have even anything remotely to do with the Ultimate Universe. Like, it's just a maker, like, trying to manipulate a universe to make his own or something. Um, but nothing in there feels like the Ultimate Universe in any recognizable way, shape, or form. So whatever comes out of this, out of the other end, is it going to be the ultimate universe as it was before? Is it going to be something new? Is it going to be something different? Are we going to see a Peter Parker Spider-Man again? Is it going to be the same Peter Parker Spider-Man that we had in Ultimate Spider-Man? There's so many unknowns here. So if you were to stand up and say, this is a whole new interpretation of a Spider-Man character, I'll check it out, I guess. Um, it, it, would you, if you tell me this is Miles Morales back in the Ultimate Universe, my reaction would be, why? I mean, you, you kind of tied yourself into a pretzel here getting him into the main universe, so why would you try to undo that? Now, if you were to tell me this is a, you know, a return of Ultimate Peter Parker and it's going to treat the previous, um, the previous Ultimate Spider-Man series as, as canon and it's, it's just a continuation of that character... I admit that would be the thing that would get me excited about this series because I love that version of Peter Parker. Um, but it's it's very difficult to predict right now what this is. I think it's interesting to note too is typically with Hickman stuff, he usually does either a team book or like some other type of grandiose thing which lends itself because of his writing style where everything is so macro. Everything is so detail-oriented with the data pages that feel like homework <laughs> um, and, and things of that nature. And so to make it a one singular titular character and, and a character-driven book, not a team book, not like an overarching universe-level book like Ultimate Invasion or, or you know, something of that nature. I think that's fascinating. He hasn't done something like that to my memory. Maybe I'm forgetting something, please correct me since ultimate thor which was a great one loved his ultimate thor um but yeah so that's that's i think another fascinating element too just like is he kind of scaling himself down here is this a long-term project because i did see in one of the interviews like he's like when i'm done with it i'm gonna be done with it and so how long is this series going to run unsure <laughs> lots of unknowns at this point and, Wait and, and, see. and I think I think one of the important questions to ask too, it's the age old question. Can you go home again? And this is something that 
both big publishers like to do. I can't speak as much to DC doing it as you do, uh, as you can, is they love circling back to events from the past. Um, You know, with DC, it's crisis this. You have a crisis. I have a crisis. We all have a crisis. But with, with Marvel, it's reusing old crossover events at the very least and like kind of just playing with that i don't even know if it's nostalgia but like this almost cyclical nature of you have uh you know like secret wars was reused you have inferno that was reused so can you go home again is another you know age-old question when it comes to comics yeah, I think that's fair. So even if it is a continuation of the original Ultimate Spider-Man run, is it going to be, you know, the same kind of feeling or experience? Yeah, that's that's difficult to predict. All right, that wraps up Nerd News. What are your reactions to both the Doctor Who uh, 60th anniversary trailer and the news that Ultimate Spider-Man Returns? Hit us up on socials at Nerd by Word. But when we come back from our first break, our ByWord Big Talk takes us into our own amalgamations. Welcome back to the main course of this episode. We call it our byword. And we've been cooking up our own amalgamation characters. Um, over the past couple of weeks, as we look back at uh, the 1996 series, and as previously stated, there was a second series of books. I found that out in my research in 1997, so that may be a future episode, like a uh, amalgam revisited, if you will. But uh, we each have three characters um, that we have blended t- together, uh, and including a creative team, because we always love, as creators, we love giving and showing love to our creators. And um, it- it'd be really interesting to see that the-, the new creators that have, especially in recent years, kind of tackle these kind of classic themes and-, and-, and kind of merge these new characters together. So, Dave, who is your first amalgam? So uh, I did a little bit of research on this one. Uh, And of course, needless to say, I can't find anybody or anything online that agrees on how to pronounce this word. But I thought it would be cool uh, to take the two, (laughs) the two most, um, let's say, positive uh, newer characters that were created by both Marvel and DC. I'm talking about uh, Miss Marvel Kamala Khan and Stephanie Brown Batgirl and merge them into one. (laughs) And I thought that the obvious thing is you'd want to keep uh, the Pakistani Muslim background of the character, because I think that's one of the most interesting and cool things about Kamala Khan. And so uh, I thought the name of the hero could be Bat in uh, Urdu. uh, And I can't uh, find anything that tells me for sure how to pronounce this Shamgadar or Shamgadar. I don't know. I'm not sure. But it's a cool name, I think. You know, I'm not fluent in but that sounds seems legit. Please correct. It seems legit. (laughs) Please do. Please do. If anything, I need to be corrected when it comes to foreign languages. It's it's something I desperately need. Um, Anyway, so I thought it would be cool uh, to kind of, you know, blend all this together. Um, So we have um, uh, Kamala Brown, who is the daughter, much like Stephanie Brown, of a supervillain. Uh, when she discovers that she has special powers, she decides that she's going to get back at her dad by you know, putting on a costume and going after him and trying to spoil, quote unquote, his uh, attempts at being a criminal. Um, 
I think there's just something really cool about both of these characters' outlook and that no matter how crazy or wild things get, uh, things get around them, that they always have a really positive, upbeat attitude towards how they overcome these obstacles. Um, especially uh, Stephanie Brown, the way she's shown in, in the Brian Q. Miller run, is, is just such an uplifting character uh, to me. Uh, full of positivity and Kamala even uh, you know I've, I've read you know the first issue of her new series where she's now a mutant and even here in this absolutely crazy setup you died you're back now you're mutant she still has this incredibly upbeat positive attitude and how she's tackling all this where mutants are outlawed and it's like yeah. the end times for mutants and she's yeah and she's still still is Kamala Khan you know and so putting those two characters together would I think be really cool um, as far as who I'd love to write this thing creative team wise i think uh, nk jemison would be awesome to have back on some kind of superhero book after her work on far sector uh that still stands as one of my all-time favorite superhero books period so getting her on a character like this i think would be really cool um and as far as art i don't think there's anything much better right now in the business than dan mora art so uh that that would be the creative team that i'd love to put on this character and i think that would be one thing as i'm listening to your your elevator pitch if you will is the family dynamic um because if you're if you're making this character's parent a supervillain you think about i immediately am drawn to the close-knit nature of kamala khan's family so if you kind of bring that element into it where they're so close so close and then you have the sting of the betrayal in the reveal of something i think that would be fascinating um, i totally then- agree and and you know I can't say enough about that creative team. Uh, Dan Mora draws so much of like my dream character. He's he's my favorite turtle artist. I would love to see him. Kind of he he only usually does it with the the Power Ranger crossovers. But I would love to see him. You know, have a couple of guest features um, on the IDW books because I, I love the way he draws them. They're kind of lankier. It's such a such a cool design. They almost look like space aliens a little bit, and I absolutely yeah. So uh, continuing our uh, personal amalgams, you already hinted this one in our last episode when we briefly brought up our topic. I'd love to hear uh, your elevator pitch for this one. Let's go. So I, I I went similar with you. What I love about these two characters is how close their family elements are. Um, one of my favorite things about both of these characters. And I think it's such a smart change from the, I'm sorry, idiotic trope of secret identity being, you know, keeping your superhero uh, reveal or identity from your family and loved ones. I think it's the most tired thing of having to hide from your family. It's dumb. It's unnecessary. It's not very believable. Um, And so having Miles Morales and Jaime Reyes both both of their families in on it and supporting them as superheroes and encouraging them to do so because it's the right thing to do. Um, And having that foundation immediately draws those characters together for me, not to mention two incredible Latino characters um, and, and the representation. Now we have one Latino culture is not monolithic. I want to acknowledge that Miles is Puerto Rican, uh, black and Puerto Rican, and uh, that Jaime is Mexican-American. So, like, this is not, hey, we'll just take two Latino characters from different backgrounds and smoosh them together. I, I, I think 
that can be beautifully be represented in, in other ways because you have ma- very many, um, you know, diverse backgrounds, even, you know, with, with the, I have friends who are Puerto Rican and Cuban or who are Colombian and Venezuelan. And, and so I think that would be kind of fascinating to infuse all of that um, culture and background and upbringing into a character and you could flip it either way. I, I kind of ping ponged it back and forth, either scarab spider or spider scarab, either one. Um, just the the costume potentials alone is fascinating. Um, and look no further than, than Cody Ziegler as the, the writer who's done an incredible job on this new Miles Morales run. And friend of the show, our first professional interview, Luciano Vecchio, who has done some incredible um, you know, c- new costume designs for characters. Um, just a huge fan of their work. Um, and kind of like that anime animated kind of style, I think lends itself perfectly to like these young teenage heroes and, and it would be so much fun. Yeah. Sold. <clears throat> I'm here for this, this, uh, th- that, you know, I love both of these characters. I have a big soft spot for, uh, Jaime Reyes, blue beetle, uh, particular, because he came along at a, at a time where he was almost like DC's answer for to to Ultimate Spider-Man, so it it makes perfect sense to literally have him <clears throat> become one, if you will, with Ultimate Spider-Man. So, uh, and I love the creative team. So uh, th- this sounds perfect, man. All right, I'm definitely intrigued by your next one, and surprised that your writer was not on the previous character. Yeah, you know, um, I want I want Brian Q. Miller back writing comics. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> but uh, you know, sometimes you don't need to go home again, right? So I'd love to see him on something uh, something new again. Um, so, but but here's a really cool thing. One of the one of the things that I set myself as a goal is to try to use as many um, sort of post 1990s created characters as possible in all of this, because a lot of these characters literally didn't exist. Um, when you know DC versus Marvel happened in 1996, so there was no way we were going to get you know any of this. Um, it's a little more fun to me than just saying I'm going to you know take people that had been merged together previously and just remix them. You know, I want to have a little bit more fun than that. So, two characters that would be absolutely polar opposites, but would still be a really fun, um, fun mix would be uh, Ironheart, Riri Williams, and Miss Martian, Megan Moores. So so my my setup here, basically, is that I merge uh, Martian Manhunter and, and Iron Man. And that is sort of her, um, I guess, if you will, uh, her mentor. But the idea is that she is a character who's raised by her uncle, who does not know that she's actually a Martian and that her uncle is a Martian manhunter, basically like space cop, so to speak, and wears a special, you know, Iron Man style armor when he's on the job. And then, you know, he is incapacitated and she has to use her know-how and, you know, her newfound uh, Martian abilities to repair the armor and go and after the people that, you know, attacked him. Uh, so very, very simple sort of setup, you know, just basic merging together of, of these uh, backgrounds. I really like the idea of, you know, acknowledging maybe for a change that just because, you know, somebody is a space alien in a superhero comic book doesn't mean that they can, you know, 
run off into battle half naked, you know, like, like just because they're from another planet doesn't mean they're automatically like superheroes, right? So having a Martian that has to wear a special armor like this, I think is a really interesting setup. You can have a lot of fun with, uh, you know, the Martian point of, of, of shape-shifting, sure, um, but that that is not, you know, within self uh, something that makes you, you know, invulnerable or be able to fly or anything like that. And for that, you know, the armor is still required. So um, I also like the idea of, of setting up a situation where um, this character is a Martian that doesn't know that she's a Martian. And it's kind of like a part of her that she has to unlock. Um, so the tech side is actually something she's a natural at, but understanding her own nature as an alien is really, you know, the, the identity crisis of it all. I think that would be really interesting. Um, and then just because I really think that there is, uh, there's something special with how he writes, <clears throat> um, young characters, uh, and how they've tried to find their way. I would love to have Brian Q. Miller, uh, on, on writing for this one. And uh, I just, I want him somewhere. So Jamal Campbell needs to be in the mix because uh, his work recently on Superman just reminded me how awesome Far Sector was. And just, there is nothing that Jamal Campbell can't do. And anytime that he decides to do interiors, I am in heaven. Uh, I know he does a lot more covers than interiors, but but his interiors just sing. So I just, I just want Jamal Campbell and some kind of amalgam interiors and what better, uh, what better uh, book to put him on than Iron Martian. Well, that and and that final point that you made right there with Jamal Campbell, I think, is is the the most intriguing fact for me on this book, um, because I think back immediately to his work on Far Sector and the detail oriented nature of his aliens, which was fascinating. Like there were there were times when I was reading Far Sector, I would just stare at the the pages and and kind of the glory that they are. Like you have so many artists that yes, they can draw humanoid type characters in a superhero comic book but like to be that imaginative and that creative um is just fascinating to me and this this is this is real intriguing one like i'm i'm always about aliens and and martians and um, you know little green men so uh, martian manhunter is always one and and i'm not as versed as i'd like to be in martian lore at, at dc comics but like oh, i've always been a big john jones fan um Miss Martian was okay in the Young Justice episodes that I saw. She was a little bit I don't know if they they had like some some clueless vibes from the 90s or whatever, but she yeah, she she her heart was in the right place, but she she had me kind of left shaking my head and so I don't know near enough about her and and Riri Williams is another character that I need to dive into the uh, the Ironheart series. Um, is something that has been on my to read list for a long time. So I'm I'm definitely intrigued by this amalgam. And I will say that Miss Martian in the comics is pretty different from the Miss Martian that you see in Young Justice. Young Justice is sort of very much its own thing. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't you know go off of that as far as characterization goes because as a character she is a a wee bit different, let's say in uh, in the comic books. All right, so this next one's got me really intrigued, Chris. What 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 merging is occurring here? Okay, so I tried to do the same thing that you did. Like that was I was like there's a there's a reason that we're doing this episode, right? There's a reason that we are trying to move this forward to the present day. What present day amalgamations would look like? I'm not trying to combine Wolverine and Batman again. Like we've we've seen that. So I wanted newer characters. Um, and characters that I knew enough about. That was that was a big thing too. I was 
to be honest, I feel pretty confident in my my Marvel character knowledge. So I was scrolling through um, kind of the DC Universe Infinite. That is still such a mouthful to say. I think we got to we got to clean that up. Um, <laughs> but I was just like, you know what? I love Jessica Cruz and I need to find a, a Jessica Cruz vehicle here. Um, and then I thought, oh, like, who else do I love? You know, that could be a good amalgamation there. And, and that was my driving point. And I love me some White Tiger. You know, uh, and Ava Ayala is the iteration of the character I'm most familiar with. So I'm giving you the Green Tiger. Um, and I think combining the aspects of a Green Lantern ring and the art alone and the creativeness that you can have with the Green Lantern ring is just boundless. Um, and then you you have like the, the amulet, like tiger god influence of like this deity level thing you amalgamize that with the green lantern ring i think there's endless possibilities i i'm i'm just thinking visually here like i didn't even spend a whole lot of time about you know what the backstory is or or whatever and again i'm not trying to take two latino characters and just eliminate their backgrounds um but 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 rather kind of blend them into this amalgamation where it's it's additive and it's not reductive, um, and so I, I think uh, Jessica Cruz being Mexican American and I believe I'm almost certain Ava Ayala is Puerto Rican, um, I think that that'd just be a beautiful thing to kind of blend those characters together, um, and you still have that immigrant story. Um, you still have that powerful background of, of family and, uh, and what have you. And then I, I needed our, our, our friend of the show, Stephanie Williams to write something and nobody writes a strong, badass female character like Stephanie Williams. Let me tell you, um, her work with Nubia is incredibly inspirational. Uh, I love what she's done with Monica Rambo uh, and her stuff at Marvel as well. So she's, she's writing the green tiger for me. And then one of the like stop and stare, remember where you were comics uh, that I previously nerd commended was that unearthed Jessica Cruz graphic novel, that young adult graphic novel. And Steph C did the art on that one. Um, And I, I, I said this when I nerd commended it, those kind of big picture splash pages it's almost like a watercolor aesthetic to steph c's artwork that when when she when um when jessica was like encountering these mesoamerican deities like you inject that ability and those huge sweeping kind of viewscapes with the tiger god with the green lantern ring i'm like this one this one is the one I'm most excited about. Yeah, I think it's interesting to take something that's supposed to be pretty tech-based, uh, like the the modern Green Lantern rings, and then you know infuse some um, spirituality and spirituality into that. I think that would be a really interesting um, approach to to that. I yeah, I, I think there's something really interesting here, man. I, I'm gonna have to like. I'm gonna have to think about this one. I don't have to let that sink in. Like this, there's just something really fascinating about that sort of merging. Yeah, I like this. All right, now our third ones. We really just went for it. 
uh, both of us. So, so what is your final amalgam character, Dave? Yeah, so my final amalgam, <laughs> amalgam character I'm referring to as Rage, and it's a merging of uh, the Kate Spencer version of Manhunter from DC and She-Hulk from Marvel. Um, so I really like um, both of those characters and their legal entanglements. So just to recap, you know, She-Hulk is obviously an attorney, defense attorney for the most part. Um, and Kate Spencer is an assistant district attorney. And her whole thing is that, uh, when she, um, you know, can't, can't, uh, get the criminals, uh, into jail, she knows that they're guilty, but they get off on a technicality or something. She goes, uh, in as manhunter and, and, you know, manhunts them, I guess you could say. And so I thought it would be fun to take that sort of basic setup and then infuse, uh, sort of a meditation on anger into that, right? So you have um, a lawyer who is working as an assistant district attorney and her anger at the failures of the legal system triggers her, you know, hulking persona, which I would call rage. And she goes after, um, you know, people that uh, she believes are are guilty and that we're able to play the system. And there there's, you know, fun to be had here, not just with like the basic setup, but also... I think there's a lot of opportunities uh, in in this kind of setup to uh, critique, you know, the failures of the legal system in a broad sense, right? And so you you have a setup for a story that can be uh, really satisfying uh, because you know Hulk smash, but also really thought provoking. Um, and so when you have when you have this kind of uh, character that is uh, dealing you know, not just with, with rage, but also, you know, with, with, with female rage, right? I, I wanted to have an all-female team on this for sure. And I figured the best writer for something like this would be Kelly Thompson. I think she would knock this out of the park. And I don't think there's anything really more gorgeous besides maybe Dan Moore and Jamal Campbell art. <laughs> like, like all of these artists are so fantastic that I picked this time around. I just, I can't pick a favorite, but Sarah Pacelli would be fantastic on something like this. So uh, I, I really like you know, merging them sort of on the on the level that they're both lawyers, but then use that um, to explore uh, the legal system more. I think that would be really interesting. Yeah, as as a former pre law student and you know, real legal eagle courtroom drama lover, like I'm I'm here for this. You can see that in my next pick as well. Like we had a similar kind of vibe going. Uh, I I absolutely love this. I I don't know a single ounce of anything about Kate Spencer Manhunter other than you nerd commended her book before as like this diamond in the rough like this unknown thing um but I do love me some She-Hulk and and Kelly Thompson can write the crap out of a strong female character and Sarah Pichelli makes beautiful work so I'm I'm here for this it's it's on my pull list haha I have I have captured your attention sir <laughs> All right, your final one also goes sort of into the legal area. I'm really interested in in this. Can I dare I say that you have some kind of weird three way going on here, Chris? Baby, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is my biggest like fever dream one. Um, I needed a third one, and like this one's incredibly ambitious, but I just went for it. I was like, you know what? This is like my last hail mary. Uh, to to you know to 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 go for the Catholic vibe here as well, both as both from my audience and one of the characters that I'm uh, making an amalgamation of, um, I'm going for um, 
an amalgamation of characters that I just I just really like. I really like. I love Dick Grayson and I love Scott Summers. They are two characters that I love so much and I was like there's still another element that's missing here. Let's bring in good old Matt Murdock. So yes, this is a three-way amalgamation between Cyclops, Nightwing, and Daredevil. And the initial premise that I went for, what started was I wanted to do something with Dick Grayson. I was scouring the DC app, like I said before, and I was like, I got to do something with, with Nightwing. And I know that I know that we had a really fun one that was not un, you know tapped into enough, in my opinion, with like the Moon Knight Nightwing, whatever they named that character. That was a really fun premise. And so I didn't want to retread that, even though it was left me wanting more. And then I was like, what what Marvel counterpart does Dick Grayson have? And I immediately thought of one of my all-time favorite characters, like a top, I think a, a, a top two character right now, all-time comic books for me, Scott Summers, Cyclops. And, and what do they have in common? They're the, you know, for lack of a better term, they're the eldest child in their respective families who became kind of disillusioned. I don't know as much Dick Grayson, but I know Scott Summers was disillusioned with their leader and kind of broke out on their own. Scott, much more radically so. (laughs) But I think there's something that I just relate to so strongly in that um, as being the eldest child and kind of being a people pleaser and doing what the quote unquote right thing all the time and not seeing a return on that investment. And then under further introspection, seeing that like these things that were being upheld as like the quote unquote right thing to do were kind of, there were cracks in the foundation there. And there were, there were things that were wrong about upholding the past. Um, And so like, those are two characters that I I wanted to immediately blend together. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do power set wise? And that's where Matt Murdock comes in. I think it would be fascinating to amalgamate this character, have the, the daredevil going blind kind of scenario. And then you have like, you always have like, you has also have like the eye centric power with, cyclops and so like you have the blindness that kind of leads into um these eye beams that are concussive but he still doesn't have sight he has to rely on this radar sense um you have the acrobatics that 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 dick grayson's into this and that 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 street level vigilante type of character of kind of smushing these three characters together and just to go for it with the maybe this is too cheesy but being blind, the character's name is the Justice. You know, Justice being blind, I went for it. Um, and then my creative team. There are a precious few things that I miss more uh, about the the aughts or the tens even than Matt Fraction writing Cyclops as this strong second generation leader who's trying to do better than the predecessor and and kind of course correct from the hypocrisies of the previous generation. Yes, anytime I get a chance to call out Charles Xavier and his gaslighting, I will do so. 
And so I need Matt Fraction writing me some Cyclops infused character. Um, and then Pepe Larraz and Marte Gracia, like one of the best things about this new era, even if it's coming to an end now, um, has been the the tag team. I'm including my colorist here, uh, Pepe Larraz and Marte Gracia, like just the, the dream team that they are together and like the just like the spectacle, the visual spectacle that they're able to create and kind of taking them from like this grand scale of like the X-Men books and writing all these aliens and bringing all that energy to a street level character um, and, and kind of putting that under microscope, I think it seems fascinating to me. So this is, this is my Charlie day, always sunny, like conspiracy theory, like pulling my hair out kind of idea, but I just went for it, man. I'm just combining all the things that I love in comic books and, and going for it here. It's definitely a fever dream of merging. Uh... I am a little disappointed that uh, merging three male characters together is not giving us a female character with our butt hanging out. But, um, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I mean, you got to remember Dare from our amalgam run from Assassins, right? I mean, you 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 merge male characters, you get a female character, and she doesn't have pants, right? I mean, that's that's how this works, right? Man, I tell you what, the '90s have well, not listen, me the well. Listen, the buns, Dick Grayson's in there, so insert Dick Grayson butt jokes. So uh, that's that's what we do, right? Dick Grayson butt jokes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this sounds actually really interesting. I'd be, uh, I'd be, I'd be very interested to see how this works in execution because there's a there's a lot of really fun elements. Um, I, I almost feel like this is sort of uh, the kind of story that that would work much better in a longer run than mm-hmm. in like a oh, one yeah. shot, which is which yeah. is perfect. I mean, give me right? a twelve because, issue. Give me a twelve issue. Yeah, because you know the the whole point of the Amalgam books is that they're supposed to feel like they've been running forever and will run forever, and I think this is really the perfect setup for something like that. So I'm I'm here for this, man. All right, that wraps up our byword big talk of our amalgam characters. What characters would you create? Be sure to share them with us on our socials at NerdByWord. When we come back, um, the hostile takeover and removal of nerd commendations continues with Nerd Nightmare. All right, we are back for our final segment, but it doesn't really feel fitting that I introduce this segment as I am the victim here, so I am punting it to you, Dave. You're punting. Well, uh, what can I say? Uh, It is time once again for... And this time, I had to mess up Chris good and proper with the 2003 remake of The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, starring uh, Jessica Biel, Eric Balfour, Mike Vogel, Jonathan Tucker, Erica Learson, and Andrew Bjarnski. I mean, I swear to God, I'm very bad at names. Uh, Here is the official synopsis. In this remake of the horror classic, a group of young travelers, including Aaron, Andy, and Morgan, come across an isolated rural home while driving through Texas. Unfortunately for them, the decrepit house is the residence of a family of deranged backwoods killers. Most notably, a hulking masked brute known as Leatherface, who begins to hunt the stranded youths down. 
Will any of the friends survive the nightmarish ordeal? Uh, as mentioned, this uh, movie was released on October 17th, 2003, and it is a remake of the 1970s original film, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was directed by uh, horror movie legend Toby Hooper. Uh, Chris, I am very, very interested to hear your reaction, especially after we exchanged some interesting text messages as you were watching it. So what, <laughs> what was your reaction to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003? I, I just I just want you to know how how deeply how strongly I am trying to keep this family friendly rating we have on this show. <laughs> um uh you know, before I dive too deep into my reaction to this, I, I wanna shout out um one of our favorite programs, Rift Tracks. I don't know if you've seen this episode of Rift Tracks, but they covered like what I can now see as a horrible ripoff of this movie with Tourist Trap. Have you seen that one? I have not. Uh, now I really yeah. want to, though. <laughs> yeah, tu- yeah. Tourist trap is like they go to this like little tourist trap, and it's very much the same thing. Like weirdo in the basement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it just that, added that element to it. Uh, yeah. So um, this one was legit scary, man. Um, and uh, I this is one of those movies where I'm like, yeah, this is why I don't do this for for fun in my free time. Because it was legitimately terrifying. Um, but at the same time, like, I've talked about this a, a hundred times on the show. It's just like now um, one of the, the best byproducts on 166 episodes now is I can kind of appreciate the creative process of something like this even more so. Like, the the writing on this is really, really smart. And, like, the things that they were trying to accomplish even outside or even in the midst of this horror film were really kind of fascinating. Um, I'm thinking about like the reveal of, of um, Kemper having the, the engagement ring that was, that was referenced early in the film. That was heartbreaking. Absolutely gutting. Um, You think about um, like the, the loop at the end was really fascinating of where you have them almost recreating like the girl that got away, you know what I'm saying? And so like that makes you draw inferences on, there was a lot of stuff going on. I didn't really understand like the whole family aspect of it um, too much. I was too freaking scared, but like that. So that initial girl that they picked up was like, was she the previous one that got away? And then now Jessica Beale is this again, um, the, the, the baby element was weird, but like, I, I see what they were doing there with that loop. And that was interesting. Um, we talked about it to a great extent. Um, the scariest thing about this movie is the fact that it would be the least surprising thing. The area that you and I live in, if this showed up on the local news, it would be the least surprising thing because the, the, the kind of places that you see the locales looks very very much like some places in the more rural areas of where we live um and to double down on how terrifying that is i moved here from a very large a pretty large city but it was surrounded by rural areas in the midwest that look dangerously close to some of these locales as well um so that was an abjectly terrifying thing um 
the other thing that was interesting and kind of divorcing myself from the horror of it all, the, the interesting thing was how much this was a Jessica Biel vehicle in 2003 and just kind of transporting my mind back to 2003. She is coming off of Seventh Heaven, leaving one horrible monster and the guy that played the father in that show came out to be in real life for Leatherface. So from one monster to another, um, it was, it was interesting in like how she was the final girl, whatever. They also did this creepy thing. If we're being honest of putting her in a white tank top and getting her wet as, as wet as possible and as many scenes as possible. Uh, so there was the whole wet t-shirt fiasco that they are wanting to do very 2003 of them. Um, but yeah, this was, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. This was legitimately terrifying. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess also like the whole, the torture porn of it all, uh, is still something that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Similar with last week with the evil dead. So yeah, legitimately terrifying. And, um, also shouts to, shouts to Aaron, Jessica Biel's character for, you know, for, for pulling a, a Jamie Lee Curtis and, and actually doing something against the bad guy. Cause I thought that was the end of it, you know, uh, when she chopped his arm off. So that, that was, that was, uh, interesting. Um, but yeah, also terrifying because, um, you know, Jedediah looks like one of, uh, one of our students. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeez. yeah, this was a legit, legitimately scary, man. Yeah, I uh, rewatching this uh, reminded me of of a lot of different things. Uh, number one, Jessica Biel is really good uh, in this movie. Like her performance is really spot on. And uh, as somebody who had absolutely no connection or like of of that television show she was on, um, and and really that's the bullet there, buddy. I openly mocked that show quite frequently. Actually, I just I, I knew some people who watched it, and I was like, this is the most you know. I don't even know. I can't. I, I cannot get into it. It's just not for me. Um, but as far as I concerned, I, I was concerned when I saw this movie. She just came out of nowhere for me and absolutely blew me away. Like her performance in this movie is really, really good. Um, and I know she has, you know, has had a decent career in the last twenty years. But it's just surprising to me that she did not really blow up after this movie because her performance is just it. It is spot on. Um, Oh, and also, real I, quick, Arlie Ermey of Full Metal Jacket fame as the sheriff slash older brother. So good in this. So incredible good. There's there's some there's some uncomfortable moments. There's a use of a homophobic slur. There is some sexual assault stuff. But, I mean, like, this is a villain, you know. Uh, but, yeah, just absolutely cooked in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think... The other thing I had forgotten is how how high quality this movie is in, in the horror movie realm. Generally, when you talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a franchise, there's a lot of really weird movies in that franchise. So most people, when they talk about legitimately good horror movies, they talk about the first one from the 70s. But I think this one goes really underappreciated. I think this one is a really qualitatively and also how well it holds up, especially considering it came out in 2003. I mean, we're talking still, you know, like, I mean... It's been 20 years. Um, this one holds up shockingly well and is probably my favorite entry in the, in the overall franchise. Um, that being said, I am a lot older now than I was back then and my attitude towards uh, some of these things 
uh, that happened in this movie is significantly different. And I had a similar experience um, watching um, the newest version of uh, The Evil Dead uh, recently with uh, with my wife. And I think we've just come to the conclusion that as you get older, uh, the um, the horror movie franchise becomes less and less appealing i don't know if that has to do with the fact that we're getting older and you know uh death is on the horizon so to speak you know the the, the transient nature of all things blah 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 not to get too philosophical but i find myself enjoying the spectacle of these deaths significantly less than i did as a young man um i think maybe the very very gory horror movies might be more a game for the young <laughs> and the more and the more cerebral horror movies uh might might be something that I tend more towards these days you know uh ghost stories and that sort of thing I find a little bit more interesting de- these days than these sorts of very gory slashers so I can't deny that this was a great experience in the theater and is a really really good movie it's just I still recommend that if you like this kind of horror movie, this is top of its game kind of stuff. Um, but I don't think it is something that I'm going to necessarily revisit very often just because of how I have changed in the last 20 years. So it was a very weird experience rewatching this because this was one of my favorite early 2000s theater experiences. I saw this in a dark theater with a really good crowd and it was it was very, very tense. And I have very fond memories of that. But rewatching it, I'm like the person that I am now does not enjoy this nearly as much. Um, here's here's that nerd Dave getting old, I guess. <laughs> no, one uh, a couple of final things. Uh, shouts to Eric Balfour because he usually pops up as like a co-star in like some random series that I'm watching, and I've always enjoyed him. He also. I also always mistook him for one of the guys from LFO. That's a real late nineties, early two thousands callback. Uh, Holy like smokes, that, dude. If you like girls that wear Abercrombie and Fitch. Um, <laughs> so I always got him mixed up with one of the guys from that group. Um, also that eardrum scene absolutely shook me. Like I, I threw my phone as I was watching it. Yeah. Got me. Um, and then I think the scariest thing. And one of, I think the best thing about this movie is the whole documentary aspect of it is because they told you what was going to happen at the beginning. And I was like, that's a bold move because then you, you have like this dread, this sense of dread for the entire film because you know what's going to happen. And then the, to kind of put that on the, the, the back end of that. And then you have Leatherface revealed to like, attack the, sh- the the real sheriff at the end was just absolutely terrifying so that for the that for me was the best element of the entire movie it's a very smartly made movie top to bottom absolutely um and it's probably going to be the as, as far as like outright scariest messes with your head movies this is probably the scariest one on our list okay um, good oh, for, for this God. year the the rest has some interesting moments and there's some there's some very interesting setups going on and and very very fun debates to be had about them, but I don't think they're nearly as scary as this one. This is probably the scariest out of the batch for this year. All right, so I, I survived that experience without wearing a uh, a tight white tank top, too. So uh, is that or a diaper for that matter? Right? I mean, <laughs> 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 all righty. 
Well, that wraps up another episode of the Nerd by Word podcast. Uh, we thank you so much for your support. Uh, and thanks for, for listening uh, to us rant and rave about the things that we love. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to like and subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or our own website, nerdbyword.com. And find us on social media, whatever social media you are into these days, because God knows there are options. You can probably find us there at Nerd by Word and individually at that Nerd Dave and at that Nerd Chris. We'd love to hear what you think of the show and some of the things we've been discussing this week. And if you have ideas for a future episode, you can always contact us uh, at nerdbyword at gmail.com unless you're one of those crypto bros that keeps filling up our inbox. <laughs> Everybody else, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Thank you.